The practice of medicine contains moments full of pain, despair, grief, and loss. However, the strength of the human spirit triumphs as stories of kindness, empathy, joy, and healing unfold. What follows are stories of human beings, sometimes doing great things, and sometimes small things with great empathy. Welcome to Med Stories, brought to you by the Teacher Learner Advocacy Committee at Indiana University School of Medicine. Welcome back to Med Stories uh, for another episode. And uh, I'll ask my two guests today to introduce themselves. Sure, so I'm uh, Phil Forish. I'm a first year pulmonary critical care fellow. Uh, I did my med school here in Indianapolis. I did my undergrad in Bloomington and I'm from Chicago. And I've been around India a really, really long time. Uh, so I know a little bit about what y'all are going through as med students and such, so mm -hmm. it's great. And I'm Graham Carlos. I uh, wear a few different hats. I'm the current chief of pulmonary and critical care for Eskenazi Health. I'm also the chief of internal medicine for Eskenazi Health. I'm still very involved with the med school here. I love teaching. The second year is all about the lungs. And uh, I mentor a variety of students teach them also in the clinical rotations, somewhat in third, but most importantly, fourth year in the sub-I. I'm a former sub-I clerkship director and former assistant dean for the school. So uh, I love our school and uh, I love what we're doing here uh, with this, this session. So I'm happy to be here. Awesome, thank you guys both for being here. Now, do the two of you know each other primarily through the School of Medicine or through clinical work? Yeah, so uh, I met Dr. Carlos when I was a med student first, probably. And then as time went on, uh, I think in preclinical years, and then in clinical years, I started kind of gravitate towards internal medicine. And then I started meeting more people in internal medicine, and he kept being around because he's one of the big faculty educators, uh, partly inspirational. And I kept doing internal medicine. And uh, in residency, I was like, hey, I really like these people, and I like pulmonary, and this is fun. And I was like, oh, man, I've really been Dr. Carlos has been doing this for a long time. I mean, maybe I should start to follow kind of in those footsteps. And that's what partially drew me into pulmonary mm. is, uh, interestingly, you'll find a lot of, of people, and your specialty choice is actually not necessarily down to information, but it is partially due to the people you fit in with, too. And that's uh, both positive and a negative. But I found a lot of people that I really liked in pulmonary, and I really liked the medicine, and that's kind of what drew me there, and that's kind of how I met Dr. Carlos. That's also why he tried to grow a beard to that. Yeah, that's that's a hundred percent the beard. Yeah, yeah. Well, you guys seem to be accomplishing that one. So pulmonary, that's like asthma and the flu, or do you guys sometimes take care of sicker patients? Yeah, so pulmonary is coupled with critical care for most fellowships around the country. And I think that's in part because in the ICU many patients are on ventilators. So having a great understanding of pulmonary physiology is important. Pulmonary also encompasses lung cancer, which as you know, is the deadliest cancer by far in our country. And so a lot of the work we do is on the front end there, part of the diagnosis through doing biopsies with a bronchoscope. Uh, in addition, we do asthma, emphysema, and a variety of other lung diseases. And I understand you guys had a pretty noteworthy case here lately. <laughs> yeah, very noteworthy. Um, to set the stage, I guess I'll start with not the patient, but kind of myself in training. So I was the senior resident on a pulmonary uh, consult service. So I'm responsible for the usual stuff like uh, teaching any of the med students around about pulmonary, seeing patient consultations from the hospital teams. Um, and we 
now I guess I'll kind of turn it to the patient, but we met this woman and her husband. She was in her 70s, um, and she had been kind of not really doing very well out in the community. She'd been losing weight, sick, mm -hmm. coughing, fevers, kind of uh, unknown type of illness, and um, was eventually brought into the hospital for those types of complaints. Got a chest x-ray, and there were some infiltrates there. And something you'll, you'll learn in your uh, infectious diseases uh, curriculum is elderly, white, female, those things are kind of associated with an infection called mycobacterium and that can cause this constellation of symptoms. It's in the family of tuberculosis, but it's not TB. Right. It's in that family of infections. And for some reason, uh, older white women tend to have a proclivity to get this infection. So you said there were infiltrates. You mean that's a sign that there's infection already present? Yeah, so on x-ray, infiltrates mean that there's something there. So not necessarily uh, infection, and you'll see this in a lot of radiology reports. There's some sort of infiltrate opacity, uh, meaning that there's something in the airspace. What we, we don't know what it is necessarily. Aren't you a radiologist? Shouldn't you? Yeah. That might be true. Yeah. <laughs> that might be true. So uh, what, what do you do with that? Just well, give some we, antibiotics uh, or...? We were hoping to capture some of her sputum so we could send it to the lab and confirm our suspicion of mycobacterium. The problem is she wasn't coughing anything up. So in order to confirm the infection, we had to do a procedure called a bronchoscopy. The purpose of that would be to take a sample from her lung so we could rule in the infection, and then get her on appropriate therapy, which for this is actually months worth of antibiotics because it's very hard to eradicate. So securing the diagnosis is really important when it comes to mycobacterial diseases. So we went and approached her. Um, Dr. Forsh here was the one that consented her for the bronchoscopy. I really tried to be very uh, reassuring. Which I bet is, your patients appreciate that. Uh, some do, some do. Uh, I tried to be very reassuring and uh, she was very afraid of getting this procedure done, almost like she had a bad feeling about it or something like that. And you know, 95 out of 100, 99 out of 100 patients who get a bronchoscopy, even when they're elderly, frail, uh, with some underlying lung disease, have no issues after. Their risk of death is very low. The risk of all of these complications is very low. So I felt pretty, I felt pretty good from a scientific background that she was going to do just, just okay. And I felt pretty good about telling her, you are going to do just all right. You'll see your husband right after. All these things are going to go great. Yeah, so the day of the procedure, Dr. Forrest uh, wasn't able to be present at the moment of the procedure. However, I went over again with the patient all of the risks and the you know, um, potential complications of a bronchoscopy. And she was still nervous. Uh, she had felt better after talking with him. But um, I agree, she had some trepidation and you feel as a doc, part of your job is to reassure patients even though we know there are risks. Right. So um, to give you more context, there we are in the bronchoscopy suites, myself, a nurse who's administering medications and a respiratory therapist who's helping with the bronchoscope. Um, normally I have learners with me, but on this particular day I was by myself. So what happened was we uh, administered the very lowest dose of medications we really could for sedation, almost like a pediatric dose knowing mm. that she was frail. Yeah. And, uh, the procedure was accomplished with very much ease, yeah, uh, very quick. smooth, it was quick. Are uh, you just looking on this procedure or are you using tools to manipulate things? And doing a little bit of looking but also instilling some saline, washing a portion of the lung where those infiltrates were. 
sucking that back out through the scope to send it to the lab. Okay. So that all went really smoothly. Uh, but as you were saying, uh, things turned on a dime because her respiratory rate really dropped on account of the sedation. So we acted quickly and asked the nurse to grab the antidote medication for what we'd administered, and she pulled it up and was working on it. But I think on account of high carbon dioxide levels in her blood and her age and her frailty, uh, her heart started uh, slowing. And that's a really ominous sign when we see that. It shows you that um, if you don't intervene right away, the heart may stop. So we ended up calling a code blue. Does that mean chest compression? Chest compression, okay. intubation, so breathing tube into the trachea. Okay. Um, and unfortunately, the uh, it, it, it helped initially, but then the chest compressions themselves, mind you, she was very frail, caused rib fractures. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. And the rib fractures then uh, poked the lungs and caused a pneumothorax. So okay. she went into cardiac arrest a second time. And uh, we were able to get her through that. Um, up and in the intensive care unit at this point now, she was on a ventilator. She had a tube in her chest to drain the air out. Um, she had had minutes worth of CPR. And the scene um, was one of extreme anxiety and distress for me as a provider. Mm -hmm. I think also for Dr. Forrest, having just told this patient and her yeah. husband everything was going to be okay, and it wasn't. So what do you say when you go back and talk to the husband? I spoke with my face before I spoke with my mouth when I saw the husband. Uh -huh. He's, I think he saw that uh, how hurt I was just for what I knew he and his wife were going through. And I could tell he could see that. And I also, like he said, used the words, I'm sorry. And I believe that it was the caring that we were able to provide to him and her that helped in that situation because I believe we did have his trust. Mm -hmm. And that was key in that moment because I think he trusted that we did do everything we could and we were being diligent and we did really care. So what ended up happening with the patient? Well, um, she had a long stay in the ICU. And the problem was she was so frail that her ribs wouldn't heal. Mm. The ribs are really important because uh, when we breathe, we actually suck air into our chest. And we do that by having our diaphragm pull down and our ribs expand out. When your ribs are broken and separated from the chest, the ribs can expand out to pull in air. The opposite happens when you try to take a breath in. The ribs collapse down. So you really can't breathe very well. And when you're 70 and had a lung infection and have, she had been a, a smoker and have some emphysema, um, it's very, very difficult for her to live off of any kind of support mm -hmm. uh, for ven mechanical ventilation. So um, she was awake, her brain worked, her other organs worked, her lungs just weren't working. Oh no. And here, here's the, the crushing thing. Um, in spite of us saying, it's just gonna take time, you just gotta let those ribs heal, good nutrition, we'll pull you through this. She said, no, I, I'm, my time is here. The patient said the that. The patient said mm -hmm. that. Wow. She did not want to spend weeks in the ICU on a ventilator. So this was startling for you to hear. Oh, yeah. And I imagine maybe startling for her husband. Yes and no. He, um, it's interesting. He, he sat by her side 24-7. Uh, 
It did not leave her bedside for that week that she was in the ICU. And you might expect, having been married that long, that your husband would say, honey, you're just stressed and depressed. You can pull through this. I can't lose you. That wasn't him, though. He just mm -hmm. said, I just love you to pieces. And whatever you want, that's what I want. And I'm with you. So he was able to accept it. Yeah. yeah. Were, were you two able to accept it? <laughs> I think that's why we're here. We're yeah. <laughs> that was, it's, yes, but at a, you know, at a heavy price, right? Yeah, I think uh, there's, there'll always be a scar. Um, that being said, uh, lots of good has come from this and that's how in part I cope with this is I life adage life gives you lemons make lemonade mm -hmm. and so I've tried to take this and use it to talk with other docs who are struggling I've actually um, developed a talk on resilience and medicine and positivity and I was able to share the story at one of the IUSM Connection Day speakers. Uh, I've traveled to University of Kentucky to give a talk on positivity and overcoming when bad things happen. I've been to the Society of Hospital Medicine. I gave grand rounds at University of Florida in Gainesville. I'm heading up to St. Vincent here in a couple months. Uh, so it's funny how uh, this, is, this has happened and I'm here with you today um, just sharing my story and uh, hoping uh, that uh, I can help other providers, much like Dr. Buckley helped me. Um, bad things happen in medicine, and there's a healthy way to cope when that happens. Sometimes you need counseling. Sometimes mm -hmm. you need close friends and family to talk through it. Sometimes a combination of things. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you maybe need to take a break. Then there's unhealthy ways, which is bottling it up, um, pretending like it never happened, um, boxing it in, or having thoughts creep in. And I'll tell you the thoughts because they tried to creep in my brain. Uh, you're no good at bronchoscopy. You're a bad doctor. You shouldn't be leading at this hospital. Um, it's your fault that she's not with us. Those are the thoughts that try to get into your heart, mind, and soul and rip it out. And I believe unless you are aware of them and counter them with you're loved and supported. Uh, you are a good doctor. There were elements of this that you could not control. And be thankful that you have such great friends and colleagues uh, like this guy sitting to my left uh, who are going to walk with you through the storm. Yes. So it's the community in some ways that yeah. can rescue mm -hmm. you from those. Amen. Yeah. Well, thank you both so much for sharing your story with us. It's really powerful reminder of what we can do and be for each other. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for listening. Join us next time for more Med Stories. Have one of your own? Email us at medstory at iu.edu. That's M-E-D-S-T-O-R-Y at iu.edu. This has been a production of Indiana University School of Medicine preparing healers, and transforming health.